0: whether the message itself differs inside versus outside of the sanctuary what's she gonna do then well that's what i've been sitting here contemplating first i'm gonna deliver this case to marcellus then basically i'm just gonna walk the earth what you mean walk the earth you know like kane in kung fu Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the Earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. This seems like a good point in the Walk the Earth series to just sort of bring people up to date on what's going on and where I've been. Walk the Earth as a podcast began at around the time my family realized that we weren't just leaving the church that we'd been attending for more than 15 years, faithfully attending. By some people's standards, perhaps aggressively attending, serving on committees ranging from the chairmanship of the church council itself to stewardship and finance and staff parish relations, which is kind of the HR group of this particular ecclesiastical structure in the church. The position I enjoyed the most and held for the longest was lay leader. What the lay leader did in the church was essentially help out directly during times of worship. The main responsibility was picking people or serving as the scripture reader. So what key Bible verses were going to be referred to that day, either just in the liturgy of the worship itself or in reference to the sermon that was going to be delivered, you'd be the one who was up there reading that particular passage of scripture or leading at a special time of prayer. That role I served in for many years, and being actively involved in that role meant that every single Sunday, you had a particular obligation. It could range anything from being the person who was reading the scripture on Sunday morning to being the person who's going to help count whatever offerings were gathered during the worship service. That plus the role I played in Sunday school, a topic I'll get to perhaps next time, meant that every Sunday I was going to this church, and I went to this church virtually every Sunday for, again, approximately 15 years. But my wife and I realized that leaving this church was going to require a broader church hunt than just going to the nearest church in the same denomination just right down the road. It wasn't hard to find, within maybe a two or three mile drive, another church from the same denomination, perhaps even from the same district, But on some levels, due to some issues, we wanted to get away from the district and we wanted to experience things in a completely different, if not style of worship, at at the very least with a different congregation. Harmful things had been said and done, and it was time for a change. So the last time I attended the church that I've left was Sunday, May 19th of this particular year, the year I'm recording, 2013. We were traveling on a little vacation the next week. And from that point on, we've attended two different churches in the same denomination. Then we made a trip to New York City. I'll get to that in just a minute. And then we visited some non-denominational churches. Went back and circled back to one of the churches that we'd visited earlier on. So making that second trip, we went to a Baptist church. And I'm not sure from that visit whether I would describe them as a Southern Baptist church. But it was hard for me to imagine myself being part of a congregation that identified itself as Baptist, in part because of all the damage that has been done to people, and frankly to Christianity, by the Southern Baptist Convention. It just seemed like a stretch to me. Although I will say that we enjoyed our time spent with that congregation, and with the people in that church that my son knew. Then we went to a completely different direction. Instead of Southern Baptist or Baptist, we went in more the direction of Lutheran, and we enjoyed that enough to attend two weeks in a row before circling back toward United Methodist, then back toward that same Lutheran church. We traveled for a couple of weeks, so we weren't able to attend church because we were literally in the air, flying or driving during those particular Sundays at that time. And then we came back from there, and I've experienced in just the last two or three weeks, a real juxtaposition that may help us get around our mind around this idea of what role the sanctuary plays in worship? To what degree is the worship experience tied in to the building? Now we've already dismissed the idea that the church itself is a building, even though there's reason to be somewhat deferential to the importance of traditions and experiences that happen in a given place. But this is a different question. This is saying, hey, I really want to believe that the sermon is just somebody who's delivering a message inspired by the Bible or by their own personal walk with the Lord and it doesn't really matter what their credentials are. They don't necessarily have to be a pastor or an apprentice in some respect to a pastorship. But what about the place? What about the location? So let me just kind of give you the extremes in I like, say two of the last 3 weeks in back-to-back weeks we went to what I would certainly describe as a mega church this is a building that absolutely would have cost more than a million dollars to build, probably more than two million dollars to build, holding seating for a couple of thousand people, if I were guessing. We were there for a worship service that had featured not just a quartet or a quintet, but and it certainly wasn't a full symphony orchestra, but it was, I don't know, 20, 25 pieces of people playing violin, viola, flute, clarinet, trumpet, trombone, French horn. I mean... That plus the you know, the drum set and the electric guitar, bass guitar, electric keyboard, piano, they had the full thing going on from a music perspective. The cross was not in the center of what you'd call this sort of altar area. I say altar area because there wasn't really an altar. This was a church built from truly a multimedia perspective with the screen kind of behind the band being the only real means that the congregation would have had for learning the words, or following along to the words being sung. There was a cross sort of offset to the right, but I got the impression that a lot of what was going on inside this particular sanctuary was put together from the perspective of perhaps a television recording, or at least a video recording for playback on DVD later. It was a modern church, and not the worst example. I don't know that we intend to attend the worst example. There is a church near us where I'm saying, just off the top of my head, the cost of this particular church building must have been more like tens of millions of dollars because of the size of the facility itself. A major U.S. manufacturer went out of business, or at least abandoned this particular location, and their newest, most modern factory was put up for sale. This is the kind of facility where you might put together toys or washing machines, vacuum cleaners, washers and dryers, or you know perhaps you know small like garden equipment. It, it was a very large building meant to match, mass produce very large and expensive appliances. And when it went out of business, it was essentially on the market for which the city, of course I'm sure hoped was going to be another manufacturer. But if you look at the manufacturing industry here in the last you know 10 or 20 years, maybe longer, It does seem unlikely that in the United States, even a good high-tech facility is likely to attract someone willing to invest in the manufacturing industry. So lots of people lost their jobs, and those people did not get their jobs back through the work that they had become accustomed to doing for years and years, because this large building was purchased by a church. Now, it was purchased by a church that, frankly, probably did need the space. They were operating three or four, maybe even more, worship services on a Sunday, And their approach was genuinely one of pack them in, you know, get them in, get them out. Uh, Make sure that you get as much face time as you can. The worship service almost has to be really set to its time limit. So there's time to empty the smaller sanctuary they were in and fill it back up again. Now, why wouldn't I be interested in such a vibrant, growing congregation as that? Well, the number one thing is you could see by who they were advertising. They were identifying themselves as a congregation with people from the Trinity Broadcasting Network that I would generously describe as having aberrant Christian views. We hear words from time to time like, The prosperity gospel. If you give to my ministry, then God will bless you and make you rich. That sort of mentality. Now, I can't say, from having attended a worship service in this church, whether this particular church is preaching the same thing on Sunday morning. But I know that they are putting up billboards advertising for some of those same types of ministers. Literally putting up a billboard with the faces of the pastor and his wife of this church side by side with people like Benny Hinn. The most generous thing I can say about Benny Hinn is that he is a false prophet who should not be followed. He has, on more than one occasion claimed that the second coming of Christ was going to occur on his stage at his big event when he made a trip over to Africa, or when he had a rally in South America, or wherever. And of course, none of this ever happened. Anytime someone makes a false prophecy like this, they're taking the Lord's name in vain. They should not be followed. And people who think they should be followed also should not be followed. Now, I've been inside this large church built in the manufacturing plant before, Because I was there for a graduation ceremony. One of the things that churches like this, these really big mega churches, can do is provide an additional auditorium that might be bigger than your average local high school can sustain. It's one thing for a high school to have an auditorium big enough to hold every student if the school year is going to begin with an assembly where the principal and some of the other members of the faculty directly speak to the entire student body, but that doesn't sustain mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, and brothers and sisters. You need a much bigger auditorium for a graduation ceremony. And that's true, even if you're really only talking about one of the four classes graduating. So I've been in this facility before, and I don't know whether it was cleaned up and scrubbed up where a lot of the religious imagery was you know, tucked away and not necessarily on display for a secular high school graduation. But I kind of doubt that. Because this is one of those churches that believes that there should be prayers and thanking Jesus Christ and people sharing their witness and perhaps even open evangelism at occasions like a high school graduation ceremony. Why would a church like that hide their cross if they're the kind of church that would get up in arms politically if a student was you know, told that they shouldn't mention Jesus in their valedictorian address? So no, I think that church that we haven't attended on a Sunday probably looks a lot like the mega church that we did attend in the sense that it's built primarily for multimedia primarily for filming what's going on or for having a light show and less necessarily about a traditional layout with an altar what i'm used to is you know really more of a very traditional sanctuary structure you may or may not have stained glass you may or may not have carpeting and padded pews those sorts of things are genuinely optional but what you do tend to have when you sit in a pew and face forward is you tend to have an altar in the center of that sort of elevated area. I hate to use the word stage, but that's kind of the word that jumped in my head when we visited some of the churches that we've been to. So you have an altar that's essentially in the center of the stage, and quite often there's a cross above that. And then to the left side, if you're facing that altar, is a, an elevated structure called the pulpit where the pastor can stand and give a sermon if he wants to stand behind the pulpit. And an equal, although perhaps not identically elevated, structure to the right, again, a place where there's a microphone and a Bible, the lectern is what it's always been called at churches I've attended, and that's where the lay reader might read the scripture for that particular Sunday. So you're sort of using you know, the middle and all sides of the altar area in the process of worship. If, for example, there's going to be a serving of communion or the Eucharist in a given Sunday, those elements, the bread and the wine, will probably be sitting at the altar at the beginning of the service, ready for the point in the worship service where the pastor decides that he's going to go through an introduction of communion and serve communion to the congregation. That's the look I'm used to, and this this megachurch concept didn't really share too many elements in common with that. So imagine going one week from being in a worship service where you're there with several hundred people in a place big enough to seat a couple thousand people, and then the very next week you're attending a church that doesn't have a church, a church that doesn't have a building. At the time, I didn't know what to expect. My daughter, who's helping us with the church search and kind of going with us as often as she can, found this church online knowing exactly what we're looking for, and knowing in particular that my focus has been trying to find a place that isn't going to shut the doors of the church to people who have different ideas, whether it be different ideas politically, economically, sexually, whatever they may be, a welcoming, open church. A church that understands what Jesus meant when he said, hey, let the little children come to me. At some point, I'm going to get to the attitude of the church that we left toward little children. And to be honest, as a Christian, I find it shocking. But this church, on their website, kind of made a big deal about the fact that they're an open, welcoming church. You're welcome to join us in worship. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you do. We want to be in worship with you. We want to be in fellowship with you. We'll sort the rest out later. I think was kind of the attitude. So then we'll all give that a shot. And then we sort of got online and tried to say, well, where is this church? And the address that we had didn't correlate to any part of town where I'd seen a church building before. In fact, it was kind of in a part of town that I was relatively unfamiliar with. I had been to the shopping center nearby and some of the restaurants... But I didn't have a mental image of where this church was. And when we actually went driving to look for it, for a moment we thought we might have to put the GPS on and get some turn-by-turn directions because it was nestled off in the corner behind a shopping center but also sort of behind a neighborhood. And you literally were driving maybe a quarter of a mile, maybe more than a quarter of a mile, down a road with just some houses and stuff on it to an area with some very big fences. So we drive through these you know, eight-foot-tall chain-link fences through a gate that was opened at the time we went in. Always makes me wonder if it's still going to be open when we're ready to leave, you know what I mean? And it was basically at a at a Masonic temple. They, they had put the church, at least for the time being, on their Sunday services inside an available space that could accommodate the size that they wanted, and this available space that accommodated the size that they wanted was a Masonic temple. Inside, you've got you know, desert scenes, sort of a desert caravan going on. And the worship service is basically centered around a stage, the kind of stage where you might do a nativity play, for example. And the whole concept made me more than just a little bit uncomfortable. Because I thought, on the one hand it's nice that this church is open and welcoming. On the other hand, I'm not that much into to hanging out with the Masons. So I was trying to figure out to what degree is this relationship purely one of convenience, or to what degree does this relationship reflect shared dogma and ideas? Now, the good news is, by the time we got to the end of the worship service, it was kind of clear that no, this was just a church that for whatever reason needed to abandon their building, and they were going to create a new building. They were going to build a new church somewhere further away than where they had been. And in the process, they were going to temporarily worship wherever they could, and the best available place for their needs and for their location was this temple, for want of a better word, Masonic Temple. So I go from the highest of high tech to this almost throwback kind of building and scenario, folding metal chairs, uh, linoleum floor, uh, that sort of a vibe. It was really kind of a shocking juxtaposition between the two I've got to say I enjoyed the fellowship and enjoyed the worship experience just as much or more in the very low-tech example. It seemed to be a group of people who were so committed to their church that they were willing to wait out this transition from old building to new. There is a downside, though. The building they left, they left for a reason. Their congregation had shrunk over the years to such a degree that they didn't need a building the size of the building that they were trying to maintain. And, rather than rebuilding in the inner city, kind of near downtown where they were, they were choosing instead to rebuild in a suburban area. Now, rebuilding in the suburban area put them closer to my house because I don't live in the city that they used to be from. And they don't—they didn't move into my city either, but they moved closer to me. So I was able to make the trip you know, in a fairly good time up to this temple, and theoretically this new church is going to be built somewhere nearby. But it's a disappointing thing to see one more church leaving Perhaps the part of town where the presence of the church is most necessary. And so I've got mixed feelings about it. On the positive side, this church doesn't seem to be building a million-dollar facility. They don't seem to be going the mega-church route. They've intentionally decided that they need to right-size themselves for their congregation. And I can respect and appreciate that. The main thing I wanted to call out, though, was just the difference. Because I can imagine there's a lot of people, I've met a lot of people, who would say that if they're not going to be worshiping the big fancy new sanctuary, it just won't feel like church to them. That meeting in a school auditorium or meeting in a gymnasium somewhere or worshiping outside when the weather's nice, all is for them somehow a great diminishment of what worship should be, that worship needs to be inside a sanctuary. Now, never mind the fact that I appreciate the footprint of this smaller congregation much more than the footprint of this mega church. I worry, frankly, that any money that I might give to the larger, you know, big church, the big new building, how much of what you give is going to pay for the construction of the building, pay for the, the big mortgage, pay for all the staff to support a facility that large, as opposed to actually going out and making disciples. I think this smaller Disciples of Christ Church has a much better chance of going out and making disciples, as their namesake indicates, because they're right-sized for that kind of ministry. The word that jumped into my mind was cathedral, and I was so unfamiliar with the term that I actually stopped to look it up. I needed to understand what the true root of that word was all about. What I found after doing some quick casual research was that cathedral essentially was referring to the church that was the seat of the synod, or the seat of the parish, the, where the bishop was serving. So basically a fancier church, the big church, the, the church that draws the, uh, the entire outlying you know, set of churches and congregations inward, to say this is the center of our denomination, the cathedral But aside from that, it didn't strike me as being anything necessarily big or significant. And yet I think I've met lots of people who are, you know, that I've worshiped with either through my family or through the church that I've left, who view that cathedral concept as being really, really important. Now, I get that. There are certain cities that if you visited Paris, for example, you might want to take a look at some cathedrals. That would be part of your sightseeing. But I don't necessarily see worship as having to flow through there. You can truly worship wherever you are. Jesus says, hey, wherever two or more of you are gathered in my name, I am with you. You can worship anywhere. Now, every now and then, worshiping inside a big fancy cathedral is pretty cool. But you know what? Every now and then, worshiping on a mountainside at a campsite with a whole bunch of people who are there for a retreat is also pretty darn cool. So, there is no rule that says you have to be inside a building. And there is no rule that says worship is more important or more significant or more special if inside the building you're worshiping in the sanctuary as opposed to worshiping in the fellowship hall or the gymnasium. So as we go back to the beginning of this church hunt and the first few places we visited, one of the United Methodist churches that we visited had several worship services, and they used more of their facility than I was used to. Some of the worship services were in the sanctuary, but one of the worship services was in what essentially is a gymnasium. They might have called it a fellowship hall, but if you look on the floor, there's lines where you could play basketball. There's places where basketball hoops can be drawn down from the ceiling so people can shoot some hoops or even play a church league game. So you're basically worshiping in the gymnasium. And that's where their contemporary form of music is. That's where the worship service focused more on younger people was being held. And it wasn't that there was any prejudice against that service. It's simply that the sanctuary that the church actually did most of its regular traditional worship in was too narrow. It didn't support the room you'd need to have a praise band perform you couldn't shift from praise band to organ now the lutheran church that we visited was well equipped for that it's big enough and wide enough that on one side was choir rows pews for the choir to sit in and a pipe organ and on the other side was essentially a stage big enough for a, a fairly large praise band nowhere near as big as that mega church but a couple guitarists bass keyboard drums that sort of thing room for room for that kind of worship So in back-to-back weeks early on in our church search, we did have an experience where we went from worshiping in a traditional sanctuary, not the one we'd been to before, but a new one that was like ours, to worshiping in this gymnasium setting, to being at the 9-11 Memorial on Sunday morning during our trip to New York City. had a conversation with my daughter who joined us on that trip. In fact, it was a big trip with lots of people from our community who went together. And I said, It feels on one level like we didn't do a church this weekend. It was the first weekend since we had been intentionally looking for a new church that we were unable to do so because we weren't weren't anywhere near our city. But I said, on some ways, the 9-11 memorial for me was a worshipful experience. And she indicated that it really wasn't for her to the same degree. And I understand that. You could go to the 9-11 memorial in New York City on a Sunday morning with a very secular mindset. This is where a piece of... Very climactic recent American history and world history truly happened. This is what was chosen to be done with the remains of the wreckage. This is how that has been turned into a memorial, much like the kind of memorials you'd see in Washington, D.C. for uh, remembering the Vietnam War or the Korean conflict. It was a memorial. But to me, when I'm standing at a memorial remembering people who died and aware of things that happened before, during that day and since that day, It was only natural for me to take a moment uh, to spend a little bit of time in prayer while we were there, not specifically for the lives that were lost, but specifically for the events that occurred and the events that occurred after. So I understand completely why somebody might be there with the sound of rushing water, looking at this very large memorial with lots and lots of names on black marble and not be moved by anything more than the history of it. But I took a different approach. Now, I'm a Protestant Christian. I don't believe that I have to kneel and face in any particular direction or use any special words. I believe that you can pray walking down the street. You can pray aloud walking down the street or to yourself, silently in other words, walking down the street. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, the very beginning of the chapter as a matter of fact, Jesus really emphasizes how important it is that prayer not be something you do so that you can be seen by others as praying. He also says fasting is something that you should do, but not so that people will see that you're fasting. He literally says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is up to. Just do it in secret. Keep it between you and me. Again, that personal relationship with Jesus that I keep talking about is Jesus saying, hey, you and me, let's abide. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. It's about us, not about the rest of the world. It's not about what other people think. It's not about looking pious and holy. It's about being caught up in that moment of genuine worship. So for me, the 9-11 memorial was a moment of genuine worship that in some ways felt more real and more true than some of the churches we visited. This is not to suggest that I would want to make a trip to the 9-11 memorial every other week. If I lived in New York City, that is not the way I would choose to worship, not the manner of worship I would pick. My guess is that if I lived in New York City, the place I would look to do regular worship would be Harlem. But that's perhaps a different story for a different day. If we focus instead on the question of all of these different kinds of churches, with all their different forms of sanctuaries, some with stained glass, some without, some with a praise band, some with just an organ, some that don't allow music at all. I haven't visited one of those yet, but I suspect I will before this is all said and done. What's the common denominator? The common denominator is that I don't think that this sermon, the message itself, the songs that are sung, the prayers that are raised, have any relationship whatsoever to where your location is it's not a geographical thing in other words i'm not sure as a christian i believe in the concept of hallowed ground now i've been to places that i feel have that aura to them in the past couple of years we made a trip to the university where my wife and i graduated and you know saw some of the old places drove by the old apartment that sort of thing and if you listen to Inappropriate Conversations, the other podcast on this feed, you know, there's some big moments in my spiritual development that happened inside that apartment. It would be very tempting to say, hey, that place is hallowed ground. I mean, it's been more than 20 years since I was there. I'm certainly not going to be asking to you know, make a sojourn back into that particular place part of the living room or to visit the bathroom or anything like that but there are memories there that are real and power and palpable but those are powerful memories not because of the geographic location the longitude and the latitude has nothing to do with it it's about what happened there so i understand people who've attended a particular church for years and years having that kind of relationship with the sanctuary but my guess is that it's not because of the wood or the cement or the carpet, or anything else that is about the sanctuary. It's because certain things that were incredibly spiritual and worshipful happened there. But I have definitely been to mountaintop experiences at places like church camps or public parks, where from time to time the church would just decide to go worship in the park, to break away, and to do something differently, to allow the Holy Spirit a little bit of room to surprise us. Sometimes we'd get surprised, sometimes we wouldn't. I've been surprised just in the last two or three weeks. I've visited a church that probably would be held up by people in my local community as a shining example of what a church is, what a church looks like. And I've also visited a church that probably your average citizen doesn't even know is there. They're not there in their minds because they don't have a building right now. And they're meeting in the strangest, at least in my opinion, in one of the strangest of places. So, if there's an answer to the question, whether the message itself differs inside versus outside of the sanctuary, I think I'll take a shortcut here and simply answer that question from the perspective of the early disciples. They were sometimes, I mean, Paul would go to a new city on his missionary journeys and immediately go to the synagogue. He would start by introducing himself to his fellow Jews on his travels. Usually that didn't go too well. We don't have accounts of him encountering a synagogue where all of the Jewish believers in that particular area decided to convert to Christianity, but he would nevertheless go to that location. No, most of the work that he did in worship was happening even in people's homes. So clearly, the message can be delivered anywhere. In a home, in a backyard, in a Masonic temple, or in the most expensive sanctuary in town. That piece of it doesn't really matter. What matters, I guess, at the end is what you do with it. Am I going to follow this path to the place where I end up making a pledge and joining in membership and giving a lot of money to a church that's vision is to to create a cathedral, to have a very expensive footprint where a lot of what the church members give supports nothing more than the building? Or am I going to find my place in a church that, at least for part of its history, hasn't even had a home? Or is it going to be somewhere in between? I honestly don't know. And that's why I'm walking the earth. If and as you are led, please join me in prayer. Spirit of the Living God, I thank you and praise you that you continue to find ways to surprise me. I've visited churches that I never knew existed and probably never would have known existed. And I've been to places that I told myself I would never go that just in the last few weeks lord help me to continue to find you because i'm seeking even in places like a site of tremendous carnage in new york city or on vacation where there is no ability to get off the plane and visit a sanctuary help me to remain in you and to have that abiding sense of both calm and wonder that wherever i take the time to stop Turn my attention toward you and lift up my prayers for not just myself, but also for the people that I love and the people that I have not yet met. Continue to bless that, Lord. Take me where you want me to go. And don't hesitate to make it unusual, to make it interesting, to make it surprising. And I promise, Lord, I won't be disappointed if where I end up after all the travel looks almost exactly like where i left i just thank you for the opportunity to see things that i otherwise was never able to do and was ironically lord never able to do because my time was fully invested in serving you at one particular place each sunday amen what happened this morning man i agree it was peculiar so but water into wine I- all shapes and sizes vincent Don't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. next message will be whether the Sunday school hour is the best type of small group. Thanks for listening.